0: So the Gospel of Matthew, we've been going on it for a while, we will continue going on it for a while, uh, because it's a long, long book, but a book that's incredibly important that goes through the life and ministry of Jesus. Last week, Chris left off in Matthew 9, discussing uh, Jesus healing the bleeding woman and also raising the girl from the dead, so just some light work from Jesus there. And if you missed it, you should check it out on the Family Church Podcast. Because I feel like we haven't plugged the podcast enough. But it's great. You can go listen to Chris and all the great things that he has said in the past. Um, And I think that's that's a great resource. So, I am going to skip Matthew 10 and 11 and go to 12. Because Chris said I could. Uh, He might come back to it, but I just really wanted to focus on this first part of Matthew 12 today. Chris talked uh, when we first started talking about, hey, where would I fit into Matthew? Uh, This was a part that I felt very um, led to share, had some thoughts on that I'd like to share with you guys, and hopefully you guys get something out of it like I did. Quickly, though, I will just quickly give you a very brief overview of Matthew 10 and 11 Chris may come back to them at some point, or he may not, depending on how we're doing with, you know, time. And we don't really want to be in Matthew for the next three years. So, we'll see how that goes. But chapter 10, Jesus provides instructions to the twelve apostles, Matthew being one of them, and sends them out to the lost sheep of Israel. So, the focus is going to be for them to uh, preach the message of Jesus to the people of Israel, not going outside of that group, but focused on Israel. And chapter 11... Jesus discusses his relationship with John the Baptist, how John kind of paved the way for Jesus to come, paved the way for his ministry. And then Jesus ends that chapter by going over the guiding scripture from our Rhythms of Grace series that we did this summer, which was Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. So if you're here through the summer, you heard a lot about that verse. If you were not here, this is another great chance to go listen to the podcast. podcast. Cool. So Matthew 12 Let's talk about college football for a second. And usually when we're here at this church, and I saw a couple eyes, it's Chris talking about how we should care about college football less, which is sacrilege in the South. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about it being a good thing. Um, If you know me well, you know that I'm not from here. I'm from Wyoming, grew up in Wyoming. Um, I got my undergraduate degree from the University of Wyoming. I love it go Cowboys. Having said that, it's nowhere near the level of the SEC and Southeastern football. So when I moved here about six years ago, I'd always loved college football, and I was kind of thinking about, all right, which of these teams am I going to, you know, align myself with? And as I just started getting more friends and everything, it just kind of decided that it was going to be Tennessee. That was just the way it was going to go. That's right. And uh, I liked that because, you know, they weren't the best team, you know, at that time, and it would be good. You know, couldn't really call myself a bandwagon fan. I actually live in Tennessee, so let's go that way. Um, then I decided to get my master's degree from there, so I'm technically an alumni, even though really I just sat at Stone Cup on a computer for two years. Um, I don't know if I paid more in coffee or tuition, but don't ask my wife Shannon about that. But. One thing that I've learned is that college football is very focused on traditions, right? There's very important traditions to an entire group of people that you wouldn't think is that important. Because at the end of the day, what Chris says about college football is kind of right in that it is just a game, right? And at the end of the day, we will all continue going on with our lives, not totally dictated by the 18 through 22-year-olds that are playing on the field. However, there's a lot of tradition, and it's really, really cool. If you've been to the University of Tennessee game, Shannon and I actually went yesterday. You know, you have the vol walk before the game. You have, you know, the T, and they run through the T to start the game. It's football time in Tennessee, all that great stuff. But people take it sometimes a little too far. If you've been following Tennessee lately, the last couple of years they've done some different things with the uniforms. Got some really awesome black uniforms, some gray uniforms, mixing it up a little bit. Some people are, like, not Tennessee fans anymore because of this, right? Like, you'll see online, like, I can't believe they would do this. This is crazy. Ruining a hundred years of tradition, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, is it really that big of a deal? Probably not. But the traditions become incredibly, incredibly important. And sometimes they can divide a fan base. Unfortunately, the same thing tends to happen in the church today, right? Traditions, the way we do things, the way we do communion, the way we do... Worship can actually divide us more so than align us. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pick a church that you like, right? There's churches that do things a little differently than the way that I prefer them, and I've been at this church for a while, but when I moved here, it was not the first church that I tried. But what happens when we put our traditions ahead of the purpose, right? What happens when the traditions become our purpose, when the traditions become bigger than God. We become divided, and we put the focus on things that should not be the focus. So today, in Matthew 12, Jesus actually kind of takes on traditions. And Jesus actually takes on a pretty big tradition, and I'd like to just start out by reading the first part of Matthew chapter 12. I believe it'll be on your screen, Matthew 12, and I'm going to read 1 through 14 out of the NIV. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, "Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath." Jesus answered, "Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests." Or, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as the sound as the other one. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might get rid of Jesus. So, there's that rug. (laughs) Okay, so that's a long section there. And what I want to focus on before we go anywhere else is giving a little bit of context and vocabulary. So, starting with the Sabbath. Now, I won't pretend to fully comprehend the importance of the Sabbath to ancient or modern Jewish people. But I will say a couple things that I think we can all use to ground our understanding of the Sabbath as we go forward today talking about it. So first, the word Sabbath is related to the Hebrew word meaning cease or rest. I think a lot of us kind of have that basic understanding of the Sabbath, even if you haven't been um, grown up in church a lot or those types of things. We understand that the Sabbath typically talks about rest. Right? On the seventh day, God rested. That's the Sabbath, right? Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath is incredibly important. There's a lot of examples of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Two of them. The first one is that the Sabbath is actually included in the Ten Commandments. You can find this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The second one is that God declares that observing the Sabbath will be rewarded, and there will be punishment for disobedience. You can find this in Leviticus chapter 26. So obviously the Sabbath is an incredibly important thing to God. And becomes an incredibly important tradition to the Jewish people. To the Israelites. The Sabbath means a lot. It's one of the original Ten Commandments. Something very, very important. The Sabbath would have meant even more to the Pharisees. Who strictly observed the law. They very strictly observe the law. They know the law inside and out. They do everything the way that it's supposed to be based on the law. So much so that priests actually make additional rituals to the law. right, To make it even more, what does ceasing or resting look like? And they put a whole bunch of rituals and laws and traditions in place to ensure that everyone is following the Sabbath in the same way. I think this starts out... right in a good place of wanting everybody to be able to enjoy this tradition together. A couple of those examples, Jewish people were not allowed to tie knots on the Sabbath. And you were only supposed to carry things with the back of your hand. So you couldn't hold something with your left hand or your right hand, but they said the back of the hand. Um, this was mentioned in a couple of the commentaries that I looked at. I don't know how you would do that. Uh, or in your shirt. You could carry something in your shirt. So I think the point is, you're carrying something very, very light, like maybe a piece of dust or something, right? But so rest, right? Rest. But as we look through chapter 12 here, the first 14 verses, Jesus and his disciples seem to be violating the Sabbath. At least that's what the Pharisees... Tell us, right? Right here, verse 2. When the Pharisees saw the disciples eating the grain, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful. Now, I don't know if this was one of their classic, Oh, gotcha, trying to get Jesus, or if this was really something that bothered them, probably a little bit of both. But it goes against a tradition that they held very, very closely. The bottom line for the Pharisees was... That what the disciples were doing was breaking the Sabbath tradition and the Sabbath ritual. So what is the bottom line for Jesus? Because if we believe that Jesus is God, he can't contradict or go against what has been taught in the Sabbath. So what is the point of Jesus defending The disciples eating the grain. What is the point of Jesus then healing a man in the temple on the Sabbath? So, I want to go back to one piece of this in Matthew 12. And that's Jesus' answer. So starting in Matthew 12, 3, where Jesus answers, "...Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for priests." Or, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So, I want to stop there. If you were reading along, you may have noticed that there is quotes around the term in verse 7. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There's also, in some Bibles, don't know if it's in yours, a little uh, either letter or number. Mine is a little letter A. That's right after those words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And if you look at the very bottom of your page, that little baby letter will take you to a footnote that will tell you what Jesus is quoting. Right? So if we look at this particular footnote, at the bottom of my Bible, it says that Jesus is quoting Hosea 6.6. Now, this is always a very important thing that Jesus does because the Pharisees would have known this, right? They are masters of the law, they are masters of the Old Testament, so they would have known exactly what this means. Thankfully, for us, we have these uh, footnotes, we have the context, we can go back and look at it in different translations and really figure out what is meant, but the Pharisees would have had a good understanding of where this is from. Don't worry we will also gain a little understanding of where this is coming from. So we're going to go to the book of Hosea for a second, which is what Jesus quotes. And this is in the Old Testament. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. And if you know a little bit about prophets and prophecy, essentially, the prophets would communicate God's desires to the Jewish people. right? They were used by God to communicate the things that God needed from the Jewish people, especially when they were not exactly living out their commitments to God, were not in a fulfilling relationship with God. So, Hosea is going to do this, and a lot of times, these prophecies look kind of like poems or songs, and would be shared with the Jewish people. Now, if I went to Hosea 6.6 in my Bible, which is a New International Version, and read it, it would say the same thing. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. However, I'd like for us to see it in a little different way, so that way we can see kind of multiple translations of it. So for this verse, I will look at Hosea 6, and I'm actually going to read verses 4 through 6 out of the message translation, which will be on the screen. So this is Hosea Six verses 4 through 6 where Jesus is talking about that I I, I desire mercy not sacrifice okay what am I to do with you Ephraim what do I make of you Judah your declarations of love last no longer than morning mist and pre-dawn dew that's why I use prophets to shake you to attention why my words cut you to the quick to wake you up to my judgment blazing like a light now here's that part I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. I'll read that last little section again. I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. So that is how the Message Translation translates, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right? Mercy, that love, that lasting relationship with God, is more important than religious activities like sacrifice in the NIV version or prayer meetings in the message translation. So what Jesus is taking the Pharisees back to is this idea that we need to keep the focus on the focus now. That sounds kind of silly, and that's something that my assistant principal tells all the kids every day on the announcements. Keep the focus on the focus, which is great if you know what the focus is, right? It's a great line as long as we know what the focus is. So based on what we've talked about so far, Jesus is not communicating to us that the focus is the rituals, right, and the little man-made traditions that have been added on. Yes, the Sabbath is important, but all of these little man-made rules and regulations that have been added are not the focus. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He allows the disciples to pick the grain on the Sabbath. So there's something deeper here. And Hosea lets us know that it's love. It's a relationship with God. Now, as we continue on, I want to make clear That I love traditions. I love traditions and rituals. I talked about college football earlier. Thanksgiving is coming up. I absolutely love Thanksgiving. And I'm very, I think, traditional about Thanksgiving because there are certain ways that food should be prepared, and there are certain order that that food should be prepared, and there's a certain time of day that I should be eating in. And that is all because of my parents, right? Tradition. What did I grow up doing? And... For those of you who are married, know that sometimes your traditions and your spouse's traditions are not always the same. So it takes a little adjustment and compromise and eventually complain enough and then you end up with two different kinds of mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner. And that is (laughs) perfectly fine, right? So I love traditions. Whenever I drive by and uh, see a church with beautiful stained glass, I just like breathe like... And Shannon goes, we get it, you like stained glass. Right? I love the traditions and rituals, and, and I love that old school stuff. So I'm not saying that those things aren't important. right? Traditions, like we do at church, like baptism is a beautiful expression of our faith. Communion is something that brings us back to the cross and reminds us of what Jesus did for us and how his sacrifice serves us. But we can't make those individual things bigger than God and his focus. So let's clarify the focus even more, because in Hosea it talks about knowing God and loving God, but it's always nice to hear Jesus tell it a little bit more directly. So we're going to go back to Matthew, and we'll be in a little different part of Matthew, a little foreshadowing for what's to come, and that's in Matthew 22, And it's going to be verses 37 through 40. And again, I'll go from the message translation. But before I do that, a little context to the situation. So Jesus is going to be answering more questions from the Pharisees, of course. Because it's always them asking questions. Now, I really appreciate the Pharisees because they ask a lot of questions that I have. Now, they weren't asking those questions out of the goodness of their heart. They were asking those questions to try to trip up Jesus, to try to get him to go against the law, against uh, the, the religion, to show that he's not actually the Son of God. Well, that didn't really work ever because, spoiler alert, he is, right? But I appreciate it because some of the questions they're asking sarcastically, I would really like to know the answers to. For instance, in this story, the Pharisees are going to ask Jesus, what is the most important commandment? That's what they want to know. What's the most important commandment? So, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-seven through 40 tells Jesus' response to this. And again, I'm going to read out the message translation. I believe it will be on your screens as well. So, Pharisees, what's the most important commandment? Jesus. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important and the first on any list. But there is a second commandment to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. So Jesus really gives us two focuses here. And that's God and others. Right? We often talk in church about how there's a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. Your relationship between you and God and your relationship between other people. Which, by the way, if we illustrated that, it would be a cross. Pretty cool, right? Um, so, yes. So, there's those two relationships. And Jesus says those are the two most important things. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. So, that's the focus, and looking back at Matthew 12, that original scripture that we started out with, we can see that that's God's focus at that time, right? That God's focus, Jesus' focus, is not on following every little man-made ritual part of the Sabbath, but being with God and loving other people, whether it's getting the disciples the food that they need, whether it's healing the man in the temple. Right? The purpose was more about the people that were there and showing them love and serving them as opposed to tradition and ritual. Again, that doesn't mean that tradition and ritual, those things that we really enjoy, are bad, but that can't be the focus. So, as I was going through this, I really liked the message I was hearing because I'm not up here in a suit and tie, right? I like to be able to wear whatever shoes I want. I like to be able to wear, you know, a pink sweater in front of everybody. Um, I like to be able to be casual, to listen to what type of music we want to listen to. But then I thought about the traditions that I have, right? And the things that I have held close to me. And that led me to some questions and some thinking. Because at the end of the day, sometimes loving God and loving other people will go against our traditions or our rituals. Those things that we hold close. The Pharisees held the Sabbath incredibly close. All parts of that ritual. And when Jesus kind of comes at their tradition a little bit, right? Comes at that ritual part of it. What does the end of that section of scripture in Matthew 12 tell us? Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now they'd already been pretty mad at Jesus. But this is kind of the last straw, right? When Jesus kind of takes that traditions of the Sabbath and says, that is not necessary. This peace is not necessary. What's more necessary is loving God and loving other people. Well, a lot of people think there are traditions and, and rituals that are incredibly important and don't like it when we do things a little different than them. So, are we willing to challenge or go against tradition to follow Jesus? When we think about the modern church, you can think about a lot of people, a lot of groups of people, a lot of individuals who are excluded from the church who, for whatever different reasons, don't fit with that ritual. Maybe for some churches, it's they don't want to dress up. Maybe for other churches, it's the way they look, other things, that, how they live out their life. And we cut them out because they don't match our rituals and our traditions. In fact, I know several people who grew up very much aligned with the traditions and rituals of what I think we would say typically the modern church follows. I even know a couple... pastors' children... who grew up very much knowing... the rituals and traditions... and the right ways to do things. But... ended up being shunned from communities... for asking questions. Asking tough questions. Not coming out and saying... I don't believe in God. Not coming out and saying horrible things... about the people in the church. But just by asking questions... People could be, have been shamed and kind of run off. I think that's an example of being more in love with our traditions and our rituals than with God and with people. So are we willing to go against our traditions to follow Jesus? I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I can barely answer it for me. And I'd like to say yes, but half the time I don't. Right There's people, there's groups of people that I don't really associate with because of the way that makes me look. Are we willing to love those people that we've been told we should shame or that we should exclude? And are we willing to trust that Jesus loves us even if we mess up? Because at the end of the day, those traditions will still kind of nag at you, right? Oh, no, should I actually be hanging out with this person? Should I actually invite this person to church? Because if I bring this person to church and they look this certain type of way or they say this certain type of thing, am I going to be judged by proxy? What if I shouldn't actually be accepting this person? What if those rituals and traditions, that specific box of Christianity that I grew up with, what if that's actually correct, and I shouldn't be accepting these people, or inviting these people to church, or loving these people the same as I love people inside of my box. Because I think it's a real question of, well, what if I embrace this person, I love this person the best that I can, I have a true relationship with this person, and at the end of the day, they never conform the way that I want them to conform. I think if we're going into a relationship with the goal of changing or conforming that person, I think we're already in very muddy water with whether or not that's love. Say it's probably not. But I think if you're like me and you grew up in that Christian box and that Christian bubble, those thoughts probably play on your mind a little bit, even as you're trying to be loving and accepting is, well... What if I spend all this time and I develop this relationship and then at the end of the day, this person just doesn't feel that connection to Jesus or this person just doesn't change this thing that I believe is keeping them out of that relationship? I think, first of all, we really can never know somebody else's heart and their true relationship with God and with Jesus. But I understand where you're coming from because that's how I feel. I could be the only one in the room feeling this, but I'm the one talking, so I'm going to keep going with it, okay? I have those questions sometimes. What if I am demonstrating too much acceptance? What if I accept people and that instead of that person conforming to my ways, what if it pushes me to their ways? Or what if it pushes me away from Jesus? I think those are questions that I've struggled with. And I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I think it's different in every scenario. I think it might cause us to ask questions about our beliefs, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think every time that I've been confronted with a good, valid question about Jesus, about belief in creation, I've always come out the other side stronger. Maybe there's doubt in there at times, but I think the more research I do, the more that I know for myself, I have fallen short and I have sinned. And the only way I'm getting into any type of eternal life is if I get it for free because I cannot earn it. So I think we can embrace those questions, but it's difficult. And I've come uh, to Chris with questions that I've had. I've come to other people in my life with questions and said, Hey, this person brought up this thing to me, and it's actually really bothering me because I don't know the answer. The beautiful and terrible thing about belief is that we'll never know all the answers. But we can get help from our community. Because we have a loving community. If I brought something up to Chris, and next thing you know, he's never asked me to speak again. Right? I messed up. Right? That makes me feel like I messed up. If you bring up a question to somebody, and that person's been inviting you to church, and all of a sudden you cut them off and you don't invite them anymore, you stop hanging out with them, or you stop associating with them. What does that tell them about Jesus? Certainly not that it's unconditional love. But it's still, it's something that's hard because I want to be accepting. I want to bring people in. I want people to see that Jesus is good, that Jesus is an amazing, amazing man, God, who saved us because we could not save ourselves. There's a, cool, there's a saying, and I don't know who first said it, so I'm not attributing it to anyone, but it goes like this, and I have to make sure I get it correct. I would rather be excluded for who I include than included for who I exclude. And I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with that because of you all and other people in my life, but because I have a loving church community that supports me through mistakes. Jeez, I'm going to crying in the club up here. Um, that supports me through mistakes, that loves me when I make mistakes, that loves me when I am wrong, that allows me to come up here and have honest discussions where I don't always know the answers. Most of the time, I don't. I feel confident to trust Jesus and to try my best to include everybody, and to try my best to keep the focus on the focus. Because I don't really know what the answer is. So we just have, I'll just trust Jesus, because he is the Lord over the Sabbath, and he's also the Lord of my life. As always, I really appreciate the opportunity to be up here. Um, thank you guys so much. As I was going over this week, I think I just really came back to that idea that if we want to show others the love of Jesus, we have to be willing to love people like that. As best we can. Because we're going to fail. And I fail at it daily. And you fail at it daily. But if we want to be a force for Jesus in this world, it's not about... Condemning. It's not about holding a sign on the corner. It's about coming alongside each other and loving each other through the questions, through the mistakes, through our hang-ups, through our falls. Because we've all been there and we all will be there. Our traditions are beautiful. Communion is beautiful. Baptism is beautiful. College football in the South is beautiful. But if those things come become more important than our relationship with God and our relationship with others then I worry that we've mixed up our priorities a little bit. If you find yourself in a position where you think maybe you've mixed up your priorities a little bit, so have I. So is everyone in this room at times. And again, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's why I believe in Jesus, because I continually fail, and I need him. I need him to save me because I cannot save myself.